If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you pray with me? Ask what I should give you, you said to Solomon, Holy One. Tradition tells us that Jesus repeated the offer to the disciples. What is it you want me to do for you? As it turns out, the disciples were interested in priority seating. Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. We roll our eyes at them, but... We are secretly relieved. We confess that would have been on our list too, except that Jesus' response has helped us revise our answer. The problem, of course, is that Solomon ruined everything for us. Give your your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. What a goody two-shoes. But he was right. Solomon knew, as we are also aware, that what we do matters. Discernment is what we need most right now. The long view is clouded by so many distractions. Wisdom's voice is hard to hear over the bots, the clickbait, and the talking heads. We would rather ask you for the things you knew Solomon could have asked for, long life or riches or for the life of your enemies. I mean, is it wrong to want to stick around for a while? Is it wrong to want enough money to make things a little bit easier? Is it wrong to want to lock up the folks who we think deserve it? But we know from reading the whole of Scripture that a long life doesn't necessarily mean a well-lived life. We confess that while we think we deserve more money, we aren't particularly interested in redistributing wealth so that everyone has it a little easier. That's clear from the student loan forgiveness debate. And in truth, we would prefer a scapegoat or three to blame the state of things on rather than take responsibility for our role in shaping our neighborhood, 
our community, and our country. So we echo Solomon's prayer, Holy One, once more with feeling. Give us an understanding mind, able to discern between good and evil. We need all the help we can get, praying like we mean it. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 through 34 and 44 through 48. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he spoke, he told them nothing. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. I read an extra verse, so we'll shut her down right there. Here ends the reading inspired by our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Our reading this morning is smack dab in the middle of chapter 13 of Matthew. Jesus is in the middle of a very long lecture of nothing but parables. Most of them are about what the kingdom of heaven is like. You, you heard them one right after the next. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It is like a treasure hidden in a field, a merchant in search of fine pearls, and a net thrown into the sea that caught fish of every kind. These parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like all have one thing in common, hiddenness. It is not necessarily the first thing we think of, primarily because Jesus uses really strong images, so we focus on the named object. We focus on the mustard seed, the yeast, the treasure, the merchant, the net. But there is an element of hiddenness to all of the parables. The, the mustard seed is sown in the field, another way of saying hidden in the ground. The yeast is hidden in the dough. The, the NRSV says mixed, but the Greek term is encrypt, which comes from the root meaning hide, as in cryptology or secret code making, or to be closest to the Greek, encryption. The treasure is hidden in the field. The pearl is hidden among all the other pearls. That's why the merchant has to search for it. And the net is cast to find what is 
hidden in the sea, which turns out to be fish of every kind. Jesus was on to something with these stories about hiddenness. There are certain things that humans seem to love no matter what age we live in. A good treasure hunt is one of those things. Perhaps you've heard of the tale of Forrest Finn, a wealthy New Mexico art dealer who claimed to have hidden a treasure chest worth millions somewhere in the Rocky Mountains north of Santa Fe. In the book Chasing the Thrill, author Daniel Barbarisi writes about obsession, death, and glory in America's most extraordinary treasure hunt. In 2010, Forrest Finn published a book and a poem that promised to lead searchers to a treasure if they could figure out the poem's nine clues. The treasure was a magnificent fortune, or at least what he could fit in a $25,000 12th century bronze Romanesque lockbox. That turned out to be 265 gold coins, dozens of gold nuggets, a gold dragon bracelet with ruby eyes studded with diamonds, emeralds, and rubies, two gold frogs, a Mayan gold bracelet, a 17th century emerald and gold Spanish ring, two pre-Columbian gold mirrors, gold dust, and the list goes on. Or at least that's what he said. The chest's contents are supposedly valued between somewhere between one and two million dollars, although some wildly generous estimates climb as high as four to five million dollars. Finders keepers. Finn printed 1,000 copies of the poem and his memoir, which he titled The Thrill of the Chase, and offered them at wholesale cost to a friend at Santa Fe's Collected Works bookstore to sell. At first, the hunting cohort was small. A few hundred really, maybe a thousand, mostly people with some connection to Finn, united by the internet into a loose community. But over time, the story spread. A few pieces in the Huffington Post, an item in Reader's Digest. Word really started to spread with the publication of a story on Newsweek's website and another in Hemispheres, that in-flight magazine of United Airlines that they used to put in the backs of the seats. Flyers from around the world learned of this hunt and took an interest. Sales of Finn's memoir spiked, and more printings had to be ordered. What truly took it from a curiosity into a full-blown craze, though, was the Today Show. In early 2013, reporter Janet Shemlian contacted Finn, hoping to do a full feature on this odd phenomenon taking place in the American West. And overnight, everything changed, because we love a good treasure hunt. The piece aired on February 27, 2013, and thousands of copies of Finn's book were ordered the same day. The upstart blogs chronicling the chase crashed from excess traffic. Other national media outlets followed up with their own stories, creating a frenzy. And before long, there were hundreds of pieces in major media publications around the world, 25-plus documentary films on the subject, and eventually, seven more Today Show segments. 
Over the next few years, the number of searchers who ventured into the Southwest actively looking for Finn's treasure went from the mere thousands to what Finn would estimate was well over 100,000 people. National parks like Yellowstone were suddenly overwhelmed, forced to create special announcements, rules, and cautions specifically for the brazen treasure hunters as they tramped through protected wildlife zones. Search and rescue teams got used to got used to plucking hunters out of areas where they didn't belong after they had tried to venture just one more mile in the cold or the snow, or got too close to the river, just certain that that treasure was just around the bend. The state of New Mexico built a tourism campaign around the hunt, and in 2015, the mayor of Santa Fe proclaimed a thrill of the chase day to thank Finn for bringing so many visitors to his town. An annual gathering, Finbury, drew aficionados from all over the world to celebrate Finn and discuss their latest efforts to find his loot. Meanwhile, the search community exploded, coalescing into a worldwide society with one thing in common, finding that treasure. Searchers fell in love and met their spouses on the chase. They shared obsession, bringing, their shared obsession bringing them together. Factions and cliques developed, all racing to beat one another to find the prize. Cautionary tales circulated of regular people who became too obsessed, who blew their life savings seeking the treasure, who went into bankruptcy to find just one, to fund just one more expedition to the West. You will need to visit your local public library to know the rest of the story. At the time of this writing, copies were on the shelf at six locations in the Metropolitan Library system, although there's a wait list for the ebook. Do you really just want me to tell you? Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Finding out for yourself, discovering the treasure, uncovering what is hidden is the fun part. It is the stuff legends are made of, writes Barbara Brown Taylor. The sunken treasure, the secret knowledge, the long-lost masterpiece gathering dust in the attic, suddenly discovered, suddenly found and claimed and enjoyed amid much celebration. That is what the kingdom of heaven is like, Jesus says whether it begins as a seed hidden in the ground or a treasure hidden in a field, the kingdom comes when it is no longer hidden but revealed, when the tree is full grown, when the treasure chest is opened, when what was lost is found and what was secret is made known and what was hidden away is brought forth for everyone to see. It is exciting business, but where do we begin to hunt? for the kingdom of heaven? Where do we start looking for the hidden kingdom of heaven? All these metaphors, they are fine. All of these parables about seeds and yeast and net, they're very interesting. But when it comes right down to hunting the honest-to-goodness kingdom of heaven, where are we supposed to start? It seems 
Taylor writes, like we ought to start someplace really holy, someplace really extraordinary, like a medieval monastery maybe, or translating ancient texts with biblical scholars, or the slums of Calcutta bathing the sick and dying with Mother Teresa. Maybe we should begin it in the Holy Land, or at the Vatican, or at the National Cathedral. Then again, it may not matter where we are exactly, as long as we keep our eyes open for extraordinary clues wherever we are, looking out for heavenly visions, listening for heavenly voices. Because if the kingdom of heaven is hidden in this world, it is hidden really, really well. And only the most dedicated treasure hunters among us stand a chance of finding it at all. Unless, of course, God has resorted to the oldest trick in the book and hidden it in plain view. There is always that possibility, you know, that God decided to hide the kingdom of heaven not in any of the extraordinary places that treasure hunters would be sure to check, but in the last place any of us would think to look, namely in the ordinary circumstances of our everyday lives, the extraordinary hidden in the ordinary, the kingdom of heaven all mixed in with the humdrum and ho-hum of our days, as easy to find as, an, as a bulb in the dark basement that suddenly sends forth a shoot, or a child's smile when she awakens from a deep sleep, or the first thunderstorm after a long drought. All of them signs of the kingdom of heaven, clues to all of the holiness hidden in the dullest of our days. Jesus knew it all along. Why else would he talk about heaven in terms of farmers and fields and women baking bread and merchants buying and selling things and fishermen sorting fish unless he meant somehow to be telling us that the kingdom of heaven has to do with these things, that our treasure is buried not in some exotic, far-off place that requires a special map, but an X that marks the spot right here, right now, in all of the ordinary people and places and activities of our lives. If we want to speak of heavenly things, he seems to say, we may begin by speaking about earthly things. And if we want to describe that which is beyond all words, we may begin with words we know Words such as man, woman, field, seed, bird, air, yeast, bread. Words such as pearl, net, fish, joy. The kingdom is like these things. The kingdom is found in these things. These are the places to dig for the kingdom of heaven. These are the places to look for the presence of God and the movement of the Spirit. I mean, just today, in this 
very plain, nothing overstated New England-style sanctuary, the kingdom of heaven appeared when a couple of mothers brought their baby forward to promise, along with this congregation, to raise that baby to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in all its forms. And in case you missed that moment, we are just about to look for the kingdom of heaven around a table which is set with the most ordinary of things, bread and cup, a table where everyone has a seat and no one goes hungry. After communion, we will go out into the only world we know and keep looking for the kingdom of heaven. And then we'll come back next week and we'll tell each other what we found. And our stories will start with, the kingdom of heaven is like... Do come back ready to give a report. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.